Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Let me get to something more serious. In April, Dr. Marcus de Bruyne resigned from the Irish Medical Council after levelling strong criticism at the government and the response to the COVID-19 outbreak, particularly in relation to the protection of nursing home residents. Uh, Dr. Marcus de Bruyne, a GP based in Rush, County Dublin, was appointed by Health Minister Simon Harris to the Irish Medical Council back in 2018. And in a blog published or post published last week, the GP accused the government of a gross overestimate, overestimate of the national case burden and wrote that there has been uh, per consideration of the vulnerable, especially those in nursing homes. He even went as far as accusing the government of state-sponsored euthanasia. And he joins me on the line, Dr. Marcus de Bruyne. Good afternoon to you. Hello, Niall. How are you? Nice to talk to you, Marcus, uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd hope to get you a little bit earlier, but of course, uh, communications are difficult nowadays. So, But it's, it's lovely to have you on the air. Now, Marcus, just for a bit of background, in case people think you don't know where you're coming from, I mean, you left this country without your leaving cert, um, and you went to the United States, but you wanted to be a doctor. Well, I went to the... I, I, I'm definitely a product of the Irish education system. I'm not a big fan of, but that's a, another issue entirely. But uh, no, that's true. I failed my leaving cert. I went to work in London on the building sites, um, and I went from there over to America. In order to keep a visa in the US, um, I had to take some classes to get a student visa, and I suppose to cut a long story short, I learned whilst I was taking classes in the American system that I wasn't actually everything that the education system here had told me I was. I wasn't uh, um, stupid or I wasn't uh, uh, a bowsy, that I actually, that I had a little bit of ability, as I think most people do. And uh, I, I just went from there. I, I suppose as I was taking classes, I realized taking classes and things I had a choice for and things I was interested in, it kind of cultivated a love of academics and a love of learning and and over there I had the opportunity to push that as far as I wanted to take it and uh, I asked myself a serious question well how far can I take my education and and medicine seemed to be the the highest point for me and and the thing I was interested in so so I went for it and and thankfully thanks to an American start and an education um, I I, I finished a a degree in, in science in California and then I came back to Ireland and I did a degree in microbiology at um, Trinity College Dublin. And then I started a master's degree in public health at Trinity. But I interrupted that to do a medical degree at the College of Surgeons. And then a year or so after that, I went to New Zealand and qualified as a general practitioner over there. So that's basically okay. my okay, so okay, so to bring us up to speed, uh, you were appointed by Simon Harris uh, to the Irish Medical Council back in 2018. Um, but you decided to resign uh, only a short while ago. So what was the turning point in the decision yeah, when you sat down that day and said, I can't take any more of this. I can't stand over this. I'm not going to put my reputation on the line for people who I believe are making mistakes. What was what was happening at that particular point when you resigned? Well, I suppose, I mean, I don't think it's too much of a, of a conspiracy to say that in Ireland the, the, and, and probably in a few other countries, but that doesn't justify it. In a few other countries, the, definitely what's happened in nursing homes has been a complete catastrophe um, from start to finish. And, and in my opinion, it's still a, a, a catastrophe. Um, but I suppose to answer your question, um, I mean, on, on, on March, March 6th, 
you know, the after the long after, well, a, a couple of weeks after the virus arrived in Ireland, the nursing home sector came out and closed their doors and said, look, you know, we're, if to protect the, the residents, we're not going to allow visitors. And, you know, Dr. Hollihan, with the greatest of respect, and Minister Harris both came out in the media and said they were doing the wrong thing and that they should reopen their doors. That so, so the point was, the dogs on the street, because we were one of the, one of the last countries, of course, to actually see COVID-19, we watched it in Italy, of course, with horror, and many other countries with horror, uh, particularly when it started off in China first, and we prayed that it wouldn't get here. But we knew from that point, the people that this particular virus seemed to be targeting, in general, were people over the age of 65, or particularly those in care homes. So the dogs on the street knew this, you saw this, and you said, right, let's stop the visitors coming in. That would be the appropriate thing to do on until we have more information and we know what to do, how to deal with this. But Simon Harris and Tony Holohan said, no, not at all. Don't be making decisions on your own there, Marcus. We're the ones who make the decisions. Reopen them again. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it wasn't the case of kind of dogs on the street knew it was over 65. I mean, look, the facts are 90% or more than 90% of people who've died from COVID are over 65. There's not an opinion or there's not a conspiracy. That's a fact, you know. So, yes, I mean, that was, I suppose, the start of things. But look, I mean, in fairness to, to, to Minister Harris, in fairness to Dr. Holohan, you know, there was a public, a massive kind of a public outcry for the public to be protected as opposed to protecting the, the vulnerable. And I suppose politicians and, and and, and, and people in charge are, you know, definitely go with public opinion rather than, than facts. And I think in, 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 in this case, public opinion kind of dominated the, 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 much of the, the response and public opinion and sentiment wasn't on the side. You know, I don't think it's just a political fault. It's how we look at old people in general. But, you know, I suppose to get to, get to the question, it wasn't that that caused me to, to, to resign. You know, it was, you know, shortly, it was a whole kind of a, a, a systemic failure. You know, I mean, shortly after, after that, you know, on April the 9th, for example, um, we were told that, well, up until April the 9th, if we had one patient positive in the nursing home, you know, we weren't allowed any other patients that I requested tests for up until April the 9th were booted off the request list. This, told is, this, is, this is when they changed the testing program um, at one stage, because I know one of the members of staff here, uh, that they had a vulnerable parent who was yeah. on, who was meant to get a test. We waited nearly mm-hmm. five or six days at that stage yeah. and then was told, ah, sorry, we're not getting you a test. We've changed the criteria, even though this person was vulnerable and had COPD. So they basically changed the criteria for the testing. Well, he, they, they, they essentially, I mean, I was going to the nursing home, putting residents down to be tested for COVID-19. And I'd go back the following week and I was told that the patients that I'd requested were booted off the list for testing without, I wasn't even informed, the staff, the nursing staff told me that patient hasn't been tested because the HSC have told us if we've one positive, then assume they all have it as if we were talking about some kind of stock in a, in a, a, on a farmyard, assume they all have it and uh, don't test anybody else. Else. Now, I suppose what what what's, what annoyed me was is that I'm, I go to the nursing home, request my test, I come back and they're booted off. And then when I come back to my surgery, according to the guidelines, I'm getting calls from anxious moms or people out doing their shopping who have a sniffle and they're all entitled to tests. So I'm in this completely ludicrous situation, as are most GPs and all GPs managing nursing homes, in this totally ludicrous situation where you're answering the phone and you're giving pe- tests to people who clearly have nothing wrong with them and don't need it. Or are not in a risk category. No, absolutely, absolutely. And then the very people who need it aren't getting the tests, you know. And I think what's really, or, or we're denied the tests, and what's really difficult when you work, or if you're ha- working with elderly people in a nursing home, it, it, it's very hard to make a diagnosis of, of the likes of COVID 
without a test because most of the people there have underlying Okay, but Marcus, here's the, here's the question. I suppose maybe this is what the experts would say from the other side of your argument is, okay, so let's say you have, you know, 20 people in a care home and somebody is COVID positive and you as the doctor in that particular care home say, okay, I want to request a test for the other 19. I mean, yes. their argument is, well, look, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what difference is it going to make if you know they're COVID positive? Uh, what could you do? Can you isolate them? Would you be able to isolate them? Would you be able to make sure nobody else gets it anyway? I mean, so th- their argument maybe was because they're all in the one place. So what are you going to, what can you, what, it, having that information, how would it change the way you manage it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's part of this kind of underlying kind of uh, disrespect or lack of respect for, for, for the elderly. I mean, if you're trying to make a diagnosis of an elderly patient in a nursing home, many of these people already have underlying conditions. So it's very, very difficult. to. I mean, it's one of the most difficult places to make a diagnosis. And if you can have a test, then you can certainly isolate staff, isolate the resident, put them in the room. You can try to protect other residents as the virus passes through the nursing home. I mean, certainly my nursing home and many nursing homes, the virus has passed through. I think, in my own opinion, as it's passed through society, you know, you can certainly do an awful lot of things. And, you know, on top of that, for example, if you've got a patient with a respiratory condition and you don't know if it's COVID or not, I mean, COVID is a virus and you can't give antibiotics for virus. So if I could test the patient and say, okay, well, look, it is COVID, then certainly not giving antibiotics is a good thing, but or, or is a bad thing. But it if I find out that it, that it isn't COVID, I can treat that and I can give antibiotics and I can do other things. So certainly allowing for elderly people to get tests is not only, it's, it's, it's humane, it's the humane thing to do, not only medically. I mean, denying elderly people tests in nursing homes, in my mind, to my opinion, was ethically, morally, medically, and scientifically wrong. And I don't know who was responsible for that decision or why that decision so, so was So be- you believe that decision was based on the fact that, oh, well, look, sure, they're old, they don't have much left in their lives anyway, let's focus on the healthy. Is that, is that the way you feel that opinion was, or that decision has come to? Well, uh, to be honest with you, look, Niall, I don't know what the answer is to that. I mean, the difficulty, the, the thing is, is that, you know, I come back to my surgery, as I say, and, and then, you know, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm providing tests for, for, for the vast majority of people who ring up looking for them. And when we're healthy need, people with a low percentage of positive tests. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 I, and you need them in a, you need the test in a clinical setting to manage your patients, to manage the staff, to, to you know, to, to control, to try and deal with it. You know, it, it needs needed to be done but I suppose the turning point came for me then on, on April the 9th you know all GPs managing nursing homes we, we, we got an email the, the, the managers of the nursing homes and us got an email saying oh well look we've changed our minds you can put those patients back on and you can now go ahead and request tests again for them so you can rebook you can put the patients back on the list if you don't mind back on the list again but you know a couple of the patients that I that I had at the time had had passed away you know so it, it, the, the the way that the situation certainly you know and it, it wasn't just that issue I mean I know, during, there, was, there was issues with PPE there was issues with oxygen or having the right equipment to deal because obviously you're dealing with an exponential amount of people I mean this time last year oh, look everybody knows when people go to a nursing home sadly that you know the people do pass away we know that people are vulnerable and they're old and and they usually have underlying conditions anyway. But the point is, in this particular time where you had a lot of people sadly getting sick at the same time, you didn't have the equipment to deal with it. 
No, I mean, the nursing home director at my own nursing home was told that, uh, I mean, I, we, we, we put in place, I mean, as I said, I have a, a little background in microbiology and, and a little bit of a, a, a background in, 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 in prevention of disease or whatever. But, you know, we did, the nursing director, we looked for extra oxygen cylinders, for example, and we were told, well, you can't get an extra oxygen cylinder unless you give back the, the, an empty, unless you return an empty. And when I rang the, the public health the, 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 to complain about this, you're met with kind of, you're certainly not met with any degree of cooperation. You're met with kind of, you know, scratching of heads and, and what's going on, you know. But, you know, aside from people... So, so are, you, are you saying to me that elderly people... Um, you know, who may have other underlying conditions as well, but had COVID-19 and obviously needed respirators or, or needed ventilators uh, and needed oxygen. Are you saying that in some cases they didn't have oxygen to give them? Well, it, 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 it certainly I can't speak for all nursing homes, but we certainly didn't have access to adequate oxygen supplies, you know, and that, that was certainly a big issue. We didn't have access to end of life, to enough end of life medication, you know. But, you know, these were kind of, I suppose, technicalities that we were trying to work out. But in, in the midst of, of what was going on, the Beaumont and the hospitals in, 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 in my catchment area were trying to empty the hospitals and put respite patients into the nursing home which is perfectly fine because we have a lot of we have a lot of empty beds at our nursing home it's only new so i'd be going to the nursing home and there were new patients there coming from the hospital and and none of these patients were being tested and you know when you start to complain and you start to say hold on a second you're transferring patients over here to us and with no benefit with no testing we don't know if they're covid negative or positive what's going on here again you're met with raised eyebrows and kind of why are you kind of you know rocking the boat or why are you complaining about this you know and i'm always when you, when you say they were moving patients from the hospital to the care home, I mean, the average age of these patients would have been what? Would they be over 75? No, well, these, we'd have younger patients for respite patients, with, you know, who, who had been recovering with fractures or, or, or things like that, um, and a couple of elderly patients. But the nursing homes were being used in many, in many cases. To, to provide um, extra bed capacity for this surge that we were that was supposed to be su- supposed to materialise that never materialised. So, so those, you know, they were emptying the beds out of the hospital, and it turned out in the end, thankfully, we didn't need all those beds anyway because the surge that we were told about never happened. So, in other words, there was no need yeah. to move them out. No, well, I mean, look, whether there was or wasn't a need, you know, there certainly, in hindsight, which is very easy, there clearly wasn't a need. But certainly when these patients were being transferred into nursing homes, they, they should have been tested. There should have been some sort of screening process. You know, the, the nursing homes were essentially a dumping ground um, for, for the hospitals, again, to provide all of the care and provide all of the protection onto the general public. But, you know, I mean, we do have to bear in mind that the whole, all of this lockdown, all of these procedures and everything that's in place is supposed to be there to protect the vulnerable. And, you know, I mean, 90%, the vast majority of those vulnerable are, are the elderly. You know, we, and, you know, you don't need to be a, 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 a scientist to figure out where the vulnerable elderly are in Ireland. They're in nursing homes. And, and there's, the, uh, okay, 25,000 people in nursing homes across the country, roughly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they, yeah. they would be the vulnerable population. So yeah. we're, now, we're now at a stage where we have 1,600 people or over 1,600 people have di- died in this country, the majority of whom would be over the age of 65. The vast majority of those are actually in care homes. So we know now what has happened. Do you think that was, I mean, in your opinion, Marcus, was that completely avoidable? 
Well, I don't know if it was completely avoidable uh, in, in, in the sense of complete. And I think this is where a lot of science kind of runs into difficulties, that scientists have been asked to say things like herd immunity or, or, or vaccines. Are we absolutely safe? Is everything complete? You know, I don't think it was completely avoidable. But certainly, it, a lot of those deaths, in my opinion, were avoidable. And certainly, I mean, 60% of the Irish death toll has come from nursing home residents. And there's been, what, over 1,600 people. So that's why... That's eight between eight and nine hundred people have died, and I don't just believe in nurse, just second, in nursing homes, just in nursing homes, and I don't believe for one second that that sector and those people were treated with anywhere approaching the same degree of of respect or dignity that we would afford to. to and and to the everybody. people, the people that have died, Marcus, just uh, from your, obviously your experience, you can't obviously speak for every other nursing home, but those people who had died. And I understand many of them had underlying conditions as well, but were their mortality? I mean, if, for example, there had have been more oxygen, if, for example, there had have been more tests, if we had taken more care and banned visitors earlier and not reopened them as suggested by Tony Holohan and Simon Harris, do you believe their mortality would have been higher? Would they have lasted another two years, five years, ten years? Were some of those patients who were, were manageable, uh, I suppose, is the point I'm making? Oh, I, look, I, I certainly do. And I think most researchers do. There's a study just came out in the UK very recently to say that the, the management of nursing homes are that the, 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 the way that's been managed in nursing homes has essentially taken 10 to 15 or 15 to 18 years, I think, was the figure um, of life expectancy away from 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 those who have died. You know, there's certainly certainly if nursing homes had if the elderly who this is supposed to be primarily all about had have been the focus at the very, very start of this, I'm absolutely confident we would have a lot less death on our hands and, 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 you know, even things, for example, like PPE. I mean, not having PPE at the nursing homes, you can get somebody in to see a dying relative if you have PPE. Well, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to focus more on that. I have to take a break and I want you to hold with me if you can, if that's okay, Marcus, because I do want to focus on the lockdown and how we continue forward because we're hearing so many stories of people who weren't there for their dying relative relative who weren't at a funeral, for example, for their, their young son who was in an accident, or those sort of situations going forward, because of course the, the catchphrase is now somewhat, we have to live with the virus. So I'll talk to you a bit more about that, Marcus, after the break. Stay with me. No. Uh, speaking to Dr. Marcus de Bruyne, who resigned uh, from the Irish Medical Council and also a GP in Rush, and he was appointed by Simon Harris himself to the Medical Council back in 2018, and he's resigned because of the way he believes it has been mismanaged. I want to let I want you to send us in a text if you want to. The number is 87 188 You can text or WhatsApp if you want to give us a call. You can. The number is 1850-410-494. Speaking to Dr. Marcus de Bruyne, uh, who has come out against the government and levelled strong criticism against the government's response to the COVID-19 outbreak. Now, sorry, Marcus, uh, about that. But OK, getting back to how we move on from this, we've now established uh, firmly, in your opinion, that I suppose more people died than should have died, particularly those in the, the vulnerable section of the population. Uh, so uh, were we right to lock everybody down in hindsight, the healthy included and those who are not vulnerable, those under the age of 65 who didn't have underlying conditions? Were we right to bring in lockdowns? 
Well, I, I don't think so. And that's my opinion. And I think we have to be careful about opinions. You know, I think if you want to look at lockdown, you really have to look at places that don't have lockdown to, to make a to make a, a, I suppose, an objective analysis or an objective comparison, you know, and the, the, the commonly um, used model to kind of compare the no lockdown scenario is, is the Swedish model, you know, and, and certainly it does appear looking at the, the numbers in Sweden that no lockdown certainly is doing um, at the, our lockdown. It, it does appear to be doing more harm than, than no lockdown. And I think that the Swedish, the, what the Swedes are doing. Well, their, is, well, their numbers will be slightly, their debt rate per million will be slightly higher than ours. Obviously, they have a bigger population. They have a bigger population of elderly people. But the numbers are a little bit higher than ours per million. Well, you know, I think you have to be very careful with numbers, and I suppose part of the reason that I'm speaking to you is, is, is on on your show, you know, with the greatest of respect, is is that I I do feel, and a lot of people feel that, you know, that 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 the the, the RTE, that the, the the mainstream media, you know, if you want, are certainly you know towing a very very solid line and a very pro lockdown line, and 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 I think we really have to be careful, and you know, George Lee not pointing any fingers but published an article you know about two weeks ago comparing Sweden and Ireland and and you know if anybody looks at that article and reads it and actually looks at the facts of things you know there's a huge huge big difference between what's stated by by by, by George and and what is actually the facts I mean the the facts are in in Sweden they've nearly 4,000 deaths and in Ireland we've got you know a little bit less than half of their population so and we kind of following on from that we have half the deaths but you you know, if you if we go back to talking about nursing homes or the elderly, 90% of the deaths of COVID are in the elderly population. So if you look at the Swedish population and you say, right, um, you know, how what's the percentage? Swedes basically have three times the number of over 65 year olds that we have. So we we so, have, well, so we have 13. percent So we, are you saying that essentially they have 33? Or sorry, 13. Well, the, the Swedes <laughs> have two million. They've got two yeah. two million two million over the age of 65, we've got 650,000, six, about around 637,000 in the 2016 census. So we've about 650,000. So uh, on a rough That's estimate... That's a large about, percentage of elderly people, isn't it? Yeah, that thing, well, essentially it's three times. So if you take the Swedish mortality of, of, of 4,000 and you divide that by three, you know, you come up with 1,300 deaths. You know, so that's so. That's so, in, in real terms, what you're saying is then, if you actually use the figures properly and take into consideration the vulnerable section of the population, Sweden actually have less deaths. If you want to use the data that way, they not only have less deaths, they have far less deaths. Okay, than, okay, than so okay. Now, and once again, you know, Marcus, I, I want to be clear that you're not telling people to break the lockdown or break the government guidelines or the strategy because that's the policy as it stands at the moment. But essentially what you're saying is we've locked down the people that we shouldn't have locked down and didn't protect the people that we should have protected in the first place. Well, I, I'm, I'm not, I suppose, I suppose in a roundabout way, that is what I'm saying. But I, in a sense, it's not what I'm saying. It's what the facts are saying. It's what the, the reality on the ground is saying. You know, I mean, you look at a country with, with no lockdown and you compare it to Ireland. And, you know, there's, there's, not, there's not a million miles. I mean, at the end of the day... Well, I mean, they, they, they have implemented... I know they don't have a lockdown and the schools are still open, etc., etc. And they go about their lives. We, we actually spoke to somebody living in Sweden the other day there and they go about their lives pretty normally. Uh, but 
there, he said there is some level of social distancing education going on. There are some people wearing masks, um, you know, so the government are giving people, you know, they're asking people to keep their distance and stuff like that. So they are doing, taking some steps. I think they did ban large gatherings of people for some period of time as well. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a very, very big difference between that and having the police stopping you in your car and stopping you on the street and infringing on your basic human rights and infringing on your civil liberties. You know, I mean, there's a huge, huge difference between what's going on in Ireland, what's going on in in other countries, you know. And I mean, at the end of the day, I think if anybody wants to look at figures when you're looking on on the the RTE side or the government side of things, you know, I think if you want to look at figures, you've got to look at the number who died or death rates. That's really the only kind of... Yeah, but Marcus, where do we go? So, so Tony Holohan has now said, the chief medical officer, that we have extinguished the community spread of COVID-19. They're, they're his words, all right? So he said we've extinguished it. Uh, so, But that leaves us in a very vulnerable situation that, you know, we now have legislation being brought in on Friday. Well, they haven't brought in legislation yet. I don't know how they're going to manage to do that without legislating for it. But that people will not be allowed into Ireland without quarantining for 14 days, essentially closing the country for business. Uh, do you think that's an advisable thing to do? Well, I think what's advisable to do is, is that the, the lockdown process, that what's happened, that there has to be some degree of, account, of accountability for the way that the elderly, particularly those in nursing homes, have been treated, that the, what's happened has to be subject to revision. And I think that the difficulty for the Irish government is, at the moment, that they're hanging in by their claws, they're not even supposed to be there, and any notion of revision is an antithesis. It's, it's, it's something that can't be tolerated because if there is any degree of revision, it's, it, it implies that something maybe was done wrong. I mean, you don't have to revise if everything's been done perfectly. There's no need for revision. But, but, isn't, I mean? but isn't the argument is that, oh, we're in uncharted territory, unprecedented times, that, you know, if you're a government or you're a minister for health or you're a chief medical officer or a Taoiseach at these particular times, you are making decisions based on the unknown. So, yes, you might get it wrong, although it was uncomfortable to watch Leo Varadkar on The Late Late Show when he was asked about what mistakes they made, that he couldn't even uh, mention the fact that he believed they made a mistake in the care home which everybody knew at that stage. But, I mean, you know, there, there will be mistakes made, won't there? Well, th- th- there have been mistakes made. I think the main problem we have is that the Irish population has essentially been locked down, and to a certain, to a certain extent, democracy itself has been locked down. The debate has been locked down. The ability for people to kind of, you know, protest about what's been going on, and I'm not saying kind of, you know, radical protest, but any kind of protest... Yeah, you're not suggesting Texas down. with guns shooting in the air or anything like that. No, no but... No, but- but, but democracy itself has been locked down. And, you know, I mean, when you look at this notion, I think, is integral, this sense of revision. You were right. We are in uncharted waters. But that exactly suggests or implies to us that we need to be revising as the, as the weather changes and as, things, and as facts become evident. But my point is, is that our government is very resistant and very unwilling to revise because revision implies that mistakes have been made. And those mistakes are serious mistakes. You know, people may have died because of those those mistakes and governments have fallen and there's been serious political consequences for far less than what's happened at the moment. So it's in the government's best interest. I think it's in our well, well, unfo- best well, 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 unfortunately, you mentioned RTE already. It does seem that over the last eight weeks uh, or nine weeks now at this stage that we're getting the same faces, the same information, the same experts telling us the same thing and that we don't, well, we don't see it on RTE. Thankfully, I've had one or two people on this show as well. Uh, from both sides, we're not getting the other side. We're not being told and why do you believe the reason? What's the reasoning behind that? It's only in the last couple of weeks we're hearing 
having people come out, you know, experts and people who are, you know, clever in their field and educated in their field saying, I don't agree with what's happening. Why do you think it's only happening now? Why does it take seven or eight weeks for people to to realise that? Well, you know, speaking out in Ireland, I think, and standing up and making points that kind of go against the kind of the the, the majority line is is a dangerous thing to do. And I think it's particularly dangerous in Ireland. I suppose if you take my own profession, general practice, you know, we're kind of subject to the guidelines and we're we're members of the Irish College of General Practitioners who are are on the National Public Health Emergency Team. And the Irish College of General Practitioners is deeply invested into the lockdown and the guidelines and the process because they were the ones who initiated the whole testing criteria at the start, the failed testing criteria when they had to be kind of revised and changed. So, you know, the, 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 and, and the, the Irish College of General Practitioners is, you know, dependent on the government for a large portion of, of its income and its resource because it, it manages training for, for, for general practitioners. And, so and are, you, are you concerned, Marcus, the fact that you're speaking out? Now, of course, you wrote an article already in the newspaper, but this is your first radio interview and the fact that you're speaking out are you concerned about your own career that is that something that people who are experts or scientists or doctors and I'm sure you have many colleagues who are doctors you might have had conversations with over the last few weeks you know about their opinion some might agree some might disagree with you and that's what the world is all about people agreeing and disagreeing that's how we get to the truth in the end Uh, but are you are you concerned that you know that people like yourself uh, will be shunned by the you know like the medical council or by um, the, the society of general practitioners are you are you concerned about that Oh, look, there's, I, I am, I'm, I suppose I am concerned about it, but there's no question about being shunned, not only being shunned, but being insulted, you know, and being called a racist, the fascist, a eugenicist, a conspiracy theorist, all of those sorts of things. But, you know, it's, it's, it, this is not about me or not about kind of, you know, what's happening to me. I mean, you know, if you take, for example, the nurses who, who work in the nursing home, I mean, I go to a nursing home and I do a round there and I see the patients, I do my best and I go back to my, to my practice, but the nurses, you have to kind of watch patients die and watching somebody die with, with COVID-19 is not a pleasant thing. It's a respiratory failure. You're watching somebody who can't breathe. You know, the nurses there who have to deal with that, they're the people who are, who are really kind of suffering, the management and the people, you know, in the nurse, nursing homes. And, you know, HICWA, for example, is going around now investigating nursing homes, you know, but it's a little known fact that many of the nursing staff in, in Irish nursing homes are, you know, non-nationals. They're from the Philippines, from other countries, and they're absolutely fantastic fantastic nurses, but their jobs are dependent on their contract with that nursing home. Now, can you imagine the kind of situation that these staff are in now, you know, with their visas and their dependence on their job related to their visas, that the nursing homes have been investigated by HICWA because of the, the nursing home debts. Now, I think that's fine. I'm a big supporter of HICWA, 100% investigate away. But why aren't the people responsible for the rules and regulations that in many respects allowed many of the... Why aren't they getting any investigation? You know, I I mean, I think that... Yes, I am concerned about, you know, the damage that's been done to my own reputation as being a conspiracy theorist and that, but it's not about me. It's well, about well, well, you've said nothing You've said nothing today that indicates to me that you're a conspiracy theorist. You're just pointing out some stark facts and you're there on the front line. You're dealing with it at your own observations and your own opinions. In relation to what we're missing out on, people talk a lot very quickly about the secondary 
deaths from COVID-19. Uh, you don't agree with the lockdown, but you do encourage people to stick with government policy for the moment. But the secondary deaths, uh, for example, we have cancelled, you know, obviously cervical smears, uh, mammograms, uh, up to 30,000 people haven't had both uh, just in one month. Um, have we learned nothing from the last three years when it came to the damage we've done to women in this country in relation to missed opportunities with cervical smears? Well, I think th- this is the question that I would like to, that needs to be put to RTE, that needs to be put to, to the government. All of this, you know, kind of rubbish, what I believe, about second waves and learning to live with COVID and all of this absolute nonsense, you know, that absolutely pales insignificance when you look at for example cervical smears you know cervical smears have been cancelled since march there's about 30,000 smears done in this country every month you know that's 60 70,000 smears alone that have been missed you know the breast and what what would what would the percentage of abnormalities be in those smears normally oh just in smears alone it's about five percent of abnormal so if we've missed about 60 70 80,000 smears five percent of those are abnormal five percent of those women are, are walking around now with abnormal smears that haven't been uh, haven't been picked up and that's just in one that's in one testing bracket you know we've got empty hospitals empty covid hubs empty covid hospitals and we've got smears that aren't being done that's just smears but you know if you add that on so we say so, well, so is this a catastrophe waiting to happen in 12 months time when people realize that they could have they missed an opportunity for early diagnosis of cancer or whatever illness it happened to be is this is this a missed opportunity for those people and are we looking at a catastrophe maybe in a year and a half time with secondary deaths that might actually be more than covid-19 in itself well, the sad thing is not we're looking at a catastrophe right now. We're talking about it right now. That's not just, that's just smears. I mean, if you add on 15,000 breast check tests that aren't being done every month, that, I don't know the percentage of those that are that are positive, but I'm sure it's in the region of 4 or 5% or whatever. You know, if you, that's just two cancer tests. But general practice, there's about 4,000 GPs in Ireland, and each of us would see 20, 30 patients, you know, a, a day. You know, if you add the numbers up, you know, it's around 800,000 GP consultations kind of every every you know week mm. month in, in Ireland there's a huge huge percentage of those that are not being done you know i mean so they're, they're missing out on the early signs of you know heart disease the early signs of cancers the early signs of stroke or they're missing out on all the early symptoms that people might present themselves to a doctor okay. with Look, that, that, again, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's a fact. We've shut down general practice. We've shut down cancer screening. And, you know... Well, so what, 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 what are they thinking, Marcus? I can go out and get a Big Mac, but I can't get a cervical smear check. I mean, so it doesn't seem to make a huge amount of sense. Well, what it struck me, I mean, two two weeks ago, I went home and, and my wife told me that she, she'd brought her little dad to the, to the vet because he, he'd hurt his back and he wasn't walking right. And, you know, for, for the rest of that evening, I, I, I just couldn't get my head around the fact that my wife can bring the dog to the vet. And yet there's 30,000, you know, cancer screens and tests being missed uh, every month just in two areas and breast check and thing. And you go onto their website and it's, it's almost insulting, shut down until further notice, you know, and... and It's astonishing, isn't it, really? When you think about it, it's the one thing that was in the news for two years and we decided, in all our wisdom, uh, let's just focus on COVID and focus on nothing else. I mean, if you're dealing with a crisis like COVID, you have to deal with it, but you also have to continue to deal with all the other problems too that we have in society. 
Yeah, well, you know, in, in again, this is my own opinion, you know, and I, I do think that government has to revise and government should be made to revise what it's done and what it's currently doing. But I think, you know, unfortunately, the medicine here has been politicized and you can't talk about COVID without getting into politics. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, the Irish government or, or those who are a government at the minute, they're still there, you know. And in, again, this is my opinion, you know, because Eamon Ryan was taken into a back room in the doll and offered to be Taoiseach for a year and, and, and various promises made so, so the thing can all trundle along and I think that's wrong absolutely fundamentally wrong that there should be back deals going on and people being you know uh, uh, bribed for want of a better word to let this show continue on without, and, uh, without any cracks I mean somebody needs to take the finger out of the dam and I think you know Eamon Ryan and, and perhaps I mean I'm not a member of a political party but Eamon Ryan and the Green Party need to think long and hard about what they're sustaining here well, but I mean the, the problem with them is like you Marcus being a professional I, I know Alan Kelly did mention the doll during the week secondary deaths uh, and missed opportunities with cancer he did mention that and he brought it. but I, I, I think a lot of politicians are afraid to say anything. There are everybody seems to be afraid to go against these three people, which is Leo Varadkar, Simon Harrison, Tony Holan, who's an un- unelected, by the way. But they all seem to be afraid to go against any of their advice. Yeah, well, you know, I suppose nobody wants to really take it politically. Nobody wants to take this poison cup because, as you said earlier on, this is uncharted waters, and we need. You know, we need a solid political leadership with a solid political plan that isn't been motivated by a political desire to kind of patch things up and pretend that, you know, that it's the lockdown that's, that's doing all the good and that if we didn't have the lockdown, we'd be just like Italy or whatever. I mean, the consistent argument, if you say anything at all against the lockdown, you know, the consistent argument is, is that, well, it's the lockdown is the very reason that we're all doing so well. But, you know, the, OK, the well, Mark, Marcus, hold on. I'm sorry for keeping you on because I just find it intriguing listen to what you have to say today but I have to take another break and I've got five minutes after that and I just want to wrap up with you so please stay with me um, Dr. Marcus Tabrun we're speaking to on the air if you have any reaction you can text us at the number 087 somebody says that doctor is amazing so brave as we are not allowed to have a different opinion in Ireland keep going Marcus says Shirley Kingston by the way a lot of people suggesting for example you're a voice for people who believe they're not being listened to at the moment I suppose there's a lot of everybody has an opinion on COVID-19 not everybody's an expert and that's fair to say but everybody has an opinion in relation to our current lockdown again you're, I, I, and I'm at pains to point out you're not telling people to break the lockdown rules to go along with it but what should the government do now knowing that the community spread has stopped essentially or being extinguished as they've suggested themselves uh, going forward right now from this point should we now move forward with those phases get businesses back up and running and do you believe for example it's safe to open a pub and let in you know the punters as you did before well, I, I think what's in the phases, to be honest with you, is rubbish and spin. And I think you, you really have to look and kind of read between the lines to see what's going on there. You know, if we do a good job and if the lockdown is working, then we'll go to phase two. I mean, new. So you believe the psychological la- uh, language in there, you know, be good citizens and behave yourselves and we we'll reward you. Uh, well, I mean, get on to government.ie website and look at the banner, you know, there are now 26,000 cases or whatever of COVID in Ireland. I mean, it's complete rubbish. The language that's been used is complete wrong. There, there are not now 20-odd thousand cases. You know, there are possibly a 1,000 or 2,000, but the language that's being used by RTE and by the government to facilitate... Yes, because most of them, just to remind me, wrong. in case they got picked up that figure wrong, they're saying there's 26,000 cases, but realistically, there's probably about 2,000 because everybody else has recovered. 
Exactly. It only lasts two weeks. You know, when you say, you know, what should we do going forward? The very first thing that needs to be returned to the Irish people is not their freedoms in terms of of COVID. It's their democratic freedoms needs to be returned. And we need to have a a proper political system. We need to have we need accountability. We need questions answered. And we need a new new government of of people who were elected. And they have to. They can't hide behind the they the, the people who elected can't hide behind the oh, well, let the government carry on and the government itself can't hide behind the well we're not going to revise anything because we 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 need to carry on i mean we need our democratic rights i think returned before the phases and everything else you know i mean i i certainly don't believe that the lockdown is is of any what about the, what about the confidence anyway. we need because i know many people who i believed were logical people but they're in absolutely terrified they're in fear yeah i know i, I most of that fear by the way is irrational Yes, yeah, and, and, and I think that's, that that's managing this, we have to be able to revise. I mean, if there's an argument that we didn't know it was going to hit the elderly or whatever, okay, f- fair enough, Let, let's hear those I arguments. Don't, I, I don't believe that argument because well, we, we saw it in other countries. Whatever the arguments yeah. are, whatever the arguments are, you know, unfortunately, this is not no longer a, really a medical issue. It's, it's, it's a political issue. And unless we have accountability, and we have zero accountability, and unless we have accountability, we can't have revision unless we have revision we can't have accountability so we are locked into the lockdown and the lockdown is, is, okay, is, is here to stay okay and I'm sorry for rushing because I've only got I'm conscious of two, two or three minutes left in relation to the suggestion that if we don't behave ourselves and you know if we all start going out and kissing and hugging each other suddenly tomorrow that there will be a second wave which could be for, worse than the first in your, yeah. in your medical opinion do you believe that's the case? I think that's rubbish, and I, I think that the the real the real second wave is here at the moment. It's what we're talking about: the shutdown of the health services and that. I mean, when you look at Switzerland, for example, Switzerland got a lot of flack because about two, three, almost a month ago, they said, "Look, let the grandchildren or let the children, you know, that's uh, right, hug yeah. their grandparents, whatever." You know, there was no big spike there in in death straight after, and you know, because they, you know, revision revision of the lockdown is is not a bad thing. For us, revision of the lockdown is a bad thing for politics. And I think that's where this whole issue is going. Learning to live with COVID. I mean, what the hell is all of that about? I mean, we can't carry on like this as we're carrying on, denying tests, shutting down the health service, learning to live with COVID. I mean, that's that's an insult, I think, to the intelligence of the Irish people. It's an insult to so the do you, so do you So do you believe that the Irish people as human beings and business can operate going forward until we get a vaccine, which is what we're being told of? the time or until you know so many people have had it or I suppose you uh, herd immunity is almost turned into a dirty word these days but I mean do you believe that we can continue as human beings you know keeping two meters apart from each other uh, restricting business to 15 or 20 percent capacity uh, do you believe that's workable uh, that's, I think that's all rubbish. I think not only is it not workable, I, I don't believe for a second that it's entirely necessary. And there's loads of international um, evidence for that. There's loads of scientific and medical evidence for that. I think that, you know, we're locked into a situation where as it's a kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. As the virus passes out of society, the credit for that has been given to the lockdown and it's reinforcing the notion that we have to carry on with the lockdown. I so, think- so you don't believe that lockdown in the last eight weeks is the reason why we've crushed the curve rather than flattened us. Uh, you don't believe that's the reason. You believe that was inevitably going to happen anyway because it happened in other countries too. 
Absolutely. Well, it, it, certainly, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have, that we should have ignored this, but certainly when you look at the Swedish model and get, allowing people their human rights, their civil rights, that sort of thing, there is no need for this total lockdown of our democracy, lockdown of our medical health, lockdown of our... So there's no need for the lockdown on several different levels, and big, big levels, but primarily, as I said, I think what's been locked down is, is democracy, okay. is an expression of... of, of of, of, of other people's voices. That's certainly... And, 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 and finally, Marcus, just before you go, in relation to where we go from here, so when this all ends, and it will all come to an end at some point, okay, and let's say the virus vanishes and disappears in a year and a half time, right, and we're all talking about it, do you believe there should be a full inquiry? And should, oh, pe- should people be taken to task who made mistakes? Well, I think it, I firmly believe that that's what should be happening now. And if that, if that was happening now, and part of the lockdown, I believe, in my own opinion, and I believe absolutely um, firmly that part of this lockdown and the, and the, the, is in order to protect the political establishment from the consequences of such inquiries, of such questions. Of, I mean, that's So you why. don't believe it's in the interest of public health, which is what they are telling us, of course, that it's in the interest of public health. And again, I want to reiterate, you're not suggesting that people should go out and do that. You would like to see that change because you don't want to see people obviously break the law. Well, I mean, you you t- you t- ask, get somebody to ask somebody out there in the world: Is it the, in the interest of public health to lock down the health service, to lock down cancer screening, lock down cancer tests, to lock down? I mean, the deaths and the pain and the suffering that's presently evolving as a consequence of of this is certainly enough justification for there to be a revision and there to be an inquiry okay. and there to be questions asked. Well, listen, thank you very much indeed, and it was very enjoyable listening to what you have to say today. It's nice to hear the other side. Well, as well. thanks for having me. On. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.